If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can even make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Again, you can download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Wiser Wednesday Experience Speaks, a podcast that discusses the improvement of physician engagement and physician documentation habits by focusing on the core aspects of clinical documentation integrity. Here is the creator and founder of Core CDI, the co-founder of Top Gun Audit School, and your host of this podcast, Glenn Krause. Hello, everyone. This is Glenn Krause from Wiser Wednesday's Experience Speaks with another great podcast. I had the privilege of having distinguished guest Candace Faison, MHA, RHIT, and she's a manager of Clinical Documentation and Coding Quality, Premier Physician Network. And uh, I've been working with Candace for several years now, and uh, we were talking the other day briefly on uh, HCCs, and I asked her, Candace, one of the biggest challenges of HCC and this topic of where's the meat? So I invited her to our podcast called Physician Communication of Patient Care, Where's the Meat? And Candace Faison currently serves as a manager of clinical documentation and coding quality at Premier Physician Network in Columbus, Ohio, and has been expanding her knowledge with CDI over the past few years. She has obtained her Master's of Healthcare Administration from Franklin University, where she was inducted into the Franklin University National Honor Society. That's really impressive, Candace and holds our RHI certification as well. She also teaches health information management classes at a local community college. She has more than 13 years of experience in various aspects of HIM and revenue cycle. Her experiences include working in a wide variety of roles, spanning from coding, government honors, charge master, to process improvement and compliance. She's a servant leader dedicated to impacting patients every day to improve processes, physician and employee engagement, and the patient experience. She is inspired by her spouse and two daughters. So, Candace, welcome to the podcast. So, let me ask you a question, okay, as we spoke about a couple weeks ago. What's the beef with this meat? What do you see as the biggest challenges in, as a coding professional and a CDI professional where are the biggest challenges in accurately capturing meat? Because, you know, there's a big to-do on HCCs and risk adjustment factor scores, and I want providers to get paid for the care provided. But from your perspective, being in the trenches, where are the challenges? Is it coders not understanding what to pick up? Is it the concept of meat? Is it a combination of above? Is it poor documentation? Where, where the challenges lie? Hi, Glenn, and thank you for having me on today. Oh, welcome. Challenges lie with 
I think specifically with the documentation because the physicians, they're doing the work. They're just not documenting it. And oftentimes, specifically with the assessment and plan and the meet, mm-hmm. I often see just a list of diagnoses and that's it. Or that's it. a list of diagnoses, you'll see, let's say, five to six diagnoses mm-hmm. with a prescription next yeah. to it yeah. and, or, or test ordered. And that's right. it. If that's it. Status, they didn't give me the status or the con- the condition. Is it worsening? Is it improving? They didn't give me the meat. They didn't tell me, like you always say, they didn't give me the patient's story. They didn't give me the history, the background of that condition at all. They didn't tell me anything about that condition or, or diagnosis. Therefore, it can't be coded. So that's where we didn't have to teach the coders you cannot add that diagnosis to the claim. The physician didn't tell me anything about it. Or you have to send the query to that provider. And then the providers get aggravated with us because we have to, you know, go back and send them questions. But so it then becomes a back and forth until they understand you have to document what we did because we know you ask the patient all these questions, you assess the diagnosis. That's right. But you just didn't document it. And that's and the what, biggest struggle. And what is the – and I uh, – wrestle this or I I get these questions from physicians and how do we address them? So we know that documentation is a big issue. It's a big challenge and I think it's a surmountable challenge. So how do you address physicians who don't want to write a diagnosis? Let's say they come in with uh, asthma patient and they're non-compliant. They come in once again with significant wheezing and they're a smoker and they have chronic bronchitis with asthma, intrinsic asthma. And they also have, let's say, CHF, uh, chronic systolic heart failure, or they have chronic renal failure, and we really want to have the stage because the stage impacts the risk adjustment factor, HCC capture, right? So how do we address situations where the physician doesn't want to write a diagnosis because he says, have you heard this? Uh, I'm not managing that, therefore I'm not going to write it. I tell the provider, whether it's a query or it's face-to-face one-on-one education, Yeah. That it's really important to capture that because it's important for the continuity of care. Even though you're not managing the managing that condition, it's important for the overall patient. Patient care is number one. If you're not capturing that, it's important to capture the status of that condition in that record for the next provider. That's right. Absolutely. Do you think physicians, uh, Candace, in your experience, do they see the record as a communication tool or do they, do they primarily see it as a necessary evil to capture reimbursement? What are your thoughts? <laughs> You're laughing, but I, I mean, that's a pretty valid question. and I know the, I know the answer, but, uh, you know, on my, from my experience, what are you seeing in your, you, you have the staff, you have what five or six staffers that work that work with you? Yes. And and, and what and what are you hearing from them? They see it as re, they look at it as reimbursement. That I get several questions all the time of well, how much are the RVUs for this code or and, and for that code? And I've definitely learned over the years through mentoring and, and from you that you have to put the patient first. You have to tie everything back to the mission of the organization, you have to make sure to tell the patient's story. It's not about reimbursement. And it doesn't matter if you're auditing the record and you have to downcode or even if you're you're upcoding 
you have to make sure that you're capturing the services that were rendered in a compliant way, regardless of what the RVUs are and the, uh, the reimbursement. Absolutely. You know, when, one of the things I'm going to say, I'm, I'm not afraid to say it. Physicians, and you brought up an interesting point, physicians are interested in what? RVUs and money. Isn't that what motivates them? Yes, I mean, absolutely. It's a motivator for me. I'm telling you, you know, in building a business, but it's not my only main mission. My mission is to help physicians understand the value of communication. And do you think, in your experience, what is the best approach to educate? And I, I don't like to use the word educate because, you know, when you talk about education, physicians, what, spend 10 or 12 years, depending on if they're a fellow, you figure four years of undergraduate, right? Then you got... That's true. They don't like that. That's a good point. No. And, you know, they got four years of education undergraduate. Then they have, what, three to four years of uh, being a, a medical student, right? And then they have, what, four years of that? And then they have three years of residency, or one, two, three. So you got four and four is eight. And you got three years, 11. Then if you're two years fellowship and three years if you're cardiology or neurosurgery. So you got 13 years, I don't like to use what education, what I like to say is sharing best practices or learnings, learnings and sharing of, of knowledge. Uh, we're doing a pretty good job as a profession, talking globally now, of uh, sharing why the HCCs are important and the concept of monitoring, evaluating, assessing, and treating. Uh, can we do better? Do you think that's a limitation of why physicians kind of push back or don't quite catch what's going for the physician because we're focused too much on the reimbursement? Yes, we, there's definitely room for improvement, improvement in that area because there are areas where we need physician accountability and we need physicians and providers that understand documentation from the coding aspect and that mm -hmm. can move the RVU and the reimbursement out of it that I've come across very few providers that actually understand that. In your facility, in your network, physicians have a pretty good understanding of HCCs, as you told me, right? Yes. So what is your secret sauce for success? One of the things that you do, and you train your staffers who don't work for you, they work with you, right? That's one thing I like about you, Candice, is that you can lead with conviction and the appreciation and the treatment of your employees as working with you, not for you. There's a difference. So how do we, how do we engage physicians in understanding the importance of HCCs, not from a reimbursement perspective, from like you just said, quality of care? Because I, I think personally physicians don't understand or think that we're trying to game the system, we're trying to make more money. I think you hit it on the nail. Continuity of care was all about the patients. If I said to you, what are the top three things that work for you and your staff, what are they? The top three things, I think if there's an opportunity to do 100% reviews, what we've done is, is targeted reviews on certain areas. Mm -hmm. So for example, with, with TCM, we've done 100% reviews on TCM, and I know not every organization is able to do that, and that does take a lot of manpower to do. But through 100% targeted reviews, we're able to give feedback in real time, and we're able to give that feedback right away before the bill goes out the door, yes. and we're able to do that through a query process. Now, mm -hmm. fortunately, sometimes the providers get bogged down with queries, but at least we're able to give that real-time feedback to the providers um, pre-bill. Also, 
through committees. We do have a coding committee that includes providers, so that also helps with the physician accountability. We have our data analysts on a part of that committee. Our coders are on that committee as well for my team. Okay. And then our surgical coding analyst, and then others from our rest cycle team, and then our payer liaison is also involved to help with our payer guidelines. So with telehealth, that's also been very helpful because we're also to stay on top of those changes that occur with the payers. All of those things help factor in to getting that feedback back to the physician when it comes to the coding, the payer guidelines, and that physician accountability and all that all those communication tools. Oh, yeah, and that sounds pretty good. You take a holistic approach, is that it? Would you say a secret to your success is not just focusing on HCCs, focusing on the documentation from a communication of patient care and interjecting the, the concept of diagnosis, status of diagnosis, patient care tool, communication tool, would that be a summary of the secret sauce? Yes, I would definitely say so. You read these uh, whistleblower cases where outside reviewers or people working for the insurance managed care for uh, pushing the envelope, knowingly abstracting diagnoses that don't meet meat. So how do hospitals stay on the right track? You know, it's sort of like a fine line. We're supposed to review the record and pick up HCCs and all the relevant diagnoses and using the meat criteria, but my concern is the meat criteria has not been well-defined, do you think? I mean, monitor, evaluate, assess, and treat. I once was once at a conference, and I asked the speaker at the end, how do you define meat? You've been going over it for the last hour, and I'm kind of hungry, so I want some meat for lunch, so let's get going. Uh, it was kind of timely. And she was going around in circles for half for ten minutes, and she never come up with the definition. How do facilities address this meat criteria when it's not? There's no national standard for meat. So, what are your thoughts? Should facilities come up with their own? How does your your staff interpret meat? I think this is a good closing question. I, you know, physician communication of patient care. Where's the meat? Depends on how you define meat. Uh, I'm going to use this analogy. I was at the store the other day, and I saw that in the meat department a fake meat called protein. Protein meat, have you seen it? Uh, and I tried it once before, and I don't think a cat or a dog would eat it. No taste. So where's the meat? It all hinges on how do you define meat. If I said to you, Candace, what is the meat criteria, what would you say? Monitoring, evaluation, assessment, and treatment. And you bring, yeah. up, bring up a point because with CMS and our, our MAC is CGS, there are a lot of a lot of great gray areas just just with Medicare alone. And so yeah. part of my job is for me, I think it's really important that I define those gray areas. That that I just take it upon myself. I say that's part of my job for for my department, for the providers when it comes to Medicare and Medicaid rules and regulations. If there's a gray area, I am going to define that gray area for you. And so that's where our committees come in. Mm -hmm. there, there's a I take it to the committee with my interpretation. We all agree on it, and then yeah. boom, standard for for the organization, or at least oh, for our. Oh, that wonderful. And is there a physician on the committee? What do you? What is the makeup of the committee? The makeup of the, of the committee is actually a physician-led committee. It's oh, great. The, led by the chair and co-chair, led by two providers, and then it's the makeup of we have the director of the revenue cycle, and then yes. we. Have um, our ESS, which is our EPIC support system, the manager of ESS, and then myself, 
there are several several providers, mostly made up of primary care, and then hopefully soon we integrate um, some providers from the specialist areas as well. Oh, it sounds like you're running a really good program there. Okay, so if I said any final words from a physician communication of patient care, where's the meet, what would be some takeaway message? A couple of takeaway points that you would like the uh, listeners to consider and take back to their facilities. For, for the providers, to just always remember to document everything that you're doing because what is missing in the documentation, you are doing it, just document it. Just remember to always document it because it's there and when it comes to the meat, you always want to make sure that you're capturing the patient's story because that's what's most important and you want to make sure that you're doing that for the continuity of care for that patient. And that's absolutely, and you bring up interesting point I want to just kind of uh, elaborate or summarize before we close. I think sometimes physicians think patient story means more copy and paste, right? More past illness, and it's really possible to tell a patient's story without, uh, I've seen some history of present illness 20 sentences long, have you? Have you yeah. kind of seen it? And if you parcel out the information that's not relevant to the patient's uh, particular encounter, you can probably whittle it down to four or five sentences. And that's mm -hmm. where the patient's story is. And that's, to me, that's where the meat starts, right? The meat starts because if you monitor, evaluate, assess, and treat, how do you monitor, evaluate, assess, and treat if we don't even know what the doctor's looking for? We don't even know why the patient's there. Why is the patient seeing the physician? Is it a problem-focused visit? What is the problem of the patient in their own words? I don't, sometimes I don't even see chief complaint. Do you? I see chief complaint left blank or chief complaint I'm here in follow-up, chief complaint, consult, chief complaint, discussion of labs. What brings you in, ma'am? I'm here for a consult. Do you think patients actually say that? Or, or I've had one, chief complaint, end-stage renal disease. Hi, ma'am, how can we help you today? I got end-stage renal disease. You can just imagine the patient not saying that, can't you? Right. Mm-hmm. Or the history of present illness, we got 20 sentences of all the past illness, 20 diagnoses that we read the history of present illness and we don't even know why the patient's there. Uh, it's pretty frustrating. That really impacts me, don't you think? Yes, absolutely. I really appreciate your time, Candice, for taking time out of your busy day. Today, folks, we spoke with a great, knowledgeable revenue cycle professional, Candice Faison from Premier Physician Network. And uh, Candice, I want to thank you for your enlightening me about your successes with your uh, program and ensuring that the HCCs are captured. And I want to just say I really respect you for your uh, knowledge and the fact that you see the medical record as a communication tool. It's a real communication tool for patients. And folks, please check out our other Wiser Wednesday podcasts. There's about 10 of them now. If you go to iTunes or any of the podcast channels, uh, I have several physicians, Dr. Terrence Governor. I'm actually having him come back, Dr. John Zelm and Dr. Joe. I've had a couple of residents. I've had Eric Rubenstein a retired OIG and fraud investigator talking about the compliance risk potential with CDI. So please check that out and go to the topdonhonorschool.com for some resources and also core-cdi.com. So thanks again, Candice, and I really appreciate your expertise and your sharing of your wisdom. 
Thank you for listening. Glenn Krauss can be found on LinkedIn. Make sure to subscribe to Wiser Wednesday Experience Speaks on Anchor.fm or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Make sure to also visit core-cdi.com for CDI and Revenue Cycle Consulting Services and topgunauditschool.com, a coaching service for hospital and clinicians. This podcast was produced by medicalcodinggeek.com. MedicalCodingGeek.com